passage here and and uh, look at this, and then we'll uh, go from there. Mark chapter eight. Uh, we're in the we're down now to verse number twenty-two, and he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. So we following what just happened, what we just went through. And here in the context, verse 21, And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. So what's going to happen now is the Lord is going to, there's a miracle he's going to do here with the blind man. And that's going to illustrate what just happened with the disciples. Okay, and again, I showed you last time, Matthew has them getting it and understanding. Mark doesn't do that. Mark moves them, you know, quickly. Boom, boom, boom. 1 to 21. Bam. And now we're to here. And then, by the way, we'll get down to verse 31. And he began to teach them. And it's bam, bam, bam. It's moving quickly. And uh, Mark is going to, uh, he focuses in on the action. So he puts a miracle here to illustrate what's going on. And this is the issue of the healing of the blind man. And it's going to picture the, the, the problem in verse 21 that they don't understand. And so this, the blind man, the blind guy here in verse 22, he's literally illustrating the condition of the disciples. Okay. So he says, verse 22, they, besought, they, they bring a blind man unto him, and he besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. There's a, here's a process again. Here's steps. Just like chapter 7 with the, with the, dumb and, the deaf and the dumb man, we saw that process. Now there's a process again. He could have simply touched him and he would have been healed, but now there's a process. Verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly. The gradual issue here, the gradual discernment uh, that the man gets. And again, it's going to be an illustration of the disciples. They weren't getting it. They had that dull of hearing. The Lord's teaching them. He's training them. They're just always a step behind, it seems. And yet, here, they will get it in the end. They don't see clearly. They don't get it. and But yet, they will get it. So, this picture here in the process, the gradual opening of the eyes. He's going he's gonna to take this guy, he's going to do, and again, the picture is coming out of there in verse, of what, what, did the fair, what, did, what did the disciples completely miss? They missed the conversation between the Lord and the Pharisee there, where he tells them, hey, you know, don't, you, you guys, I'm not talking about bread, I'm talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And they, they're still missing the feeding of the 4,000. So they get over, they forget their food. They, he looks around and he goes, I just fed 4,000. Don't you think I could feed you guys? They're missing. They're just a step off. And yet here, what do we have? Now we mark, bring, by the way, this passage on the blind man is only found in Mark. Because Mark is showing the, the action quickly. He does it. It's not recorded in Matthew or, or Luke or John. It's only recorded here. So he, we're going to see this gradual opening of their eyes. Notice verse 23. He took him. He takes the blind man. By the way, verse 22, Bethsaida. That, the name Bethsaida, it means a, 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 a place of a net or an obstacle. Okay, but rather it's more than that. It's really a place that's been marked by unbelief. Come over back to Matthew 11 and catch this. 
because when we talk about Bethsaida, something has happened in Bethsaida that makes it a place of unbelief. Mark, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 11, verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And then he goes on down there about Capernaum and Sodom. And so, but look, they have done so many mighty miracles and works in Bethsaida, and yet what? Unbelief reigned. So when you come back here to Mark 8, he's going to take this man, verse 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. He's literally going to take the blind man. He's, he takes that blind guy outside of the town. He's in a place where Christ has been rejected where the miracles have been rejected, the message has been rejected, so he takes him by the hand. Now, if you've ever been around blind people, and you lead, a, you know, here, take my arm and I will lead you, you don't go very fast with them, you go very slow, because what do they not quite do with you? They don't trust you. They don't have confidence in you. They don't think you're going to run them into the wall, but they, they still are very slow and they're very um, deliberate. So he leads him by the hand. He's bring, he brings this guy, this man, i.e., picture the disciples, outside of the town. And he's going to try to help him. And he's going he's to do some things here. But again, how's it going? Very slow, very methodical, very just regimented. He brings him out of the place of unbelief. He separates him away from that unbelief element. And the design is to help him get over. The, the issue is they, they need to get some confidence about who the Lord is and what's going on. They don't have confidence. So with no confidence, they're not moving quickly. They're always a step behind. So in verse 23, when he takes him by the hand, he takes him outside of the town. That issue, again, taking, getting outside of the unbelief. He, he, he does it in such a way that the blind man would have confidence in moving with him. Okay? So, you know, I think about we, in the bus yard, in the busing, in the special needs, I've dealt with blind children before. And it's always been we let the teachers bring them all the way to the bus, and then we help them on. Why? Because they're going to move. Their confidence is in the teacher. If, you, if I go meet them, they're not so confident until the kid gets to know me. When the child gets to know me, then I can go get him, and he'll walk with me normally. Okay? Getting them onto the bus took coaxing. Okay, one more step, one more step, one more step. One more, and then one kid, one little boy, he's a junior higher, he goes, how many steps are on this bus? <laughs> I go, you got four, okay? The one, and he's like, well, I've counted five. I go, no, you've got three, you got one more. Why? Because he, in his mind, he's, there's no confidence. So he takes him by the hand, leads him outside of the town, get him out of that element of unbelief. He does it such a way so that they would have confidence in him. So He's literally separating this guy away so that he can work on him. And he can, he can come in and have some confidence in Christ and who he is. They know who he is. We're going to see that as we go here. But, not, but it, the issue is confidence in it. Um, come over to chapter 9. Chapter 9 of Mark. In, in Mark 9, we'll get, we'll get into the Mount the, of Transfiguration. If you look at verse 7, And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. 
And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw, what? No man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. They saw who? Nobody. They only see the Lord. Now, this is Peter, James, and John. We understand that. But what are they? He's isolating them out because the nation has completely rejected him. The nation has said, we don't want it. We want to send us another sign. We need another sign from heaven. He says, you ain't getting one. You've seen them all. They've completely rejected him. So the believing remnant has to be separated away. They got to be, that little flock's going to be taken away, taken out from that unbelieving, that apostate nation. And he's going to work on them, which causes them to have confidence. Because in a minute, he's going to tell them he's going to have to go and die and be resurrected. I'm leaving. And that's going to spin them out. So they have to have the confidence. They, they have to, again, the real issue in all of this is who is Christ, and he is who he said he is. He's the Messiah. Chapter 8, verse 23. So, they, so he takes the blind man by the hand, leads him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. Now, he's going to spit on the eyes. Now, we've seen him spit before, back in chapter 7, 7.32. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseeched him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitudes, put his fingers in his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. When we went through all that, we looked at the issues back there in Genesis and so forth, and that spitting, that the process, the issue of the spit, go back to chapter 8, has to do with the things that are coming out of the mouth of Christ. So out of the mouth, the words that he speaks, they're producing light. Gerald just said a minute ago about sitting on the front row but needing an umbrella. He's in the spit zone. Why? Spitting. That, that's what he's doing here. He... he, he we see the word of God, and in the word of God is the source of the healing power. So back here in chapter 8, that's what he's doing. So he's, he takes care of the deaf and dumb guy. Now we've got, he's going to give sight to the blind. So it's what's coming out of Christ, the word, his word. But his word and who he is, his word, his his. His, his compassion, all of that, that that's what's going to heal. The touch is what's going to heal the man. Now, watch verse 23, 823. He put his hands upon him, and then he asked that question, do you see aught? If he saw aught. The Lord knows he asks a question, the Lord knows whether he sees or not. But the question is, he's patiently waiting on the guy to do what? See. Okay? The Lord knows if he can or not. So the Lord is patiently working it out with them, what's going on here. There's a, they're pa he's patiently dealing with the man. He asks the question, do you see aught? The man's response. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. He isn't completely healed. He doesn't see clearly. Verse 25, after that he put his hands again upon his eyes. And made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Then he does what? He does it again, and now we have a, restor a complete restoration. So you have a, a healing here. Again, when the Lord heals these guys, these folks, it's total, complete, boom. But we're looking at the process healing. So there's a process in here for a reason. He He's... He hits him, he touches him, he, he sees the men as trees, okay? 
Then Christ comes and puts his hands again on him, and then he sees clearly. So the restoration of, of what's happening, of, of really the restoration of, of the nation is going to be a two-step process. That's what we're learning here. He sees the men as trees, and then he sees clearly. And again, the illustration here of the disciples, they're not getting it. They're a step behind, so they don't see clearly, and then what do they see? Boom, then they get it, okay? So when you look back up here, look back up at verse 10. Straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha, and the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. What are, they don't have it. What, what are they missing here? The disciples are missing something. Verse, thir, verse 12, And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them, and entering the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them. One, the, the Lord's dealing with the spiritual things, and what are they worried about? Lunch, physical needs, okay? They shouldn't have been worried about that. They just saw him feed the 4,000. They should have been right on board. But yet, verse 21, they're not understanding it yet. So he, well, verse 15, and he charged them saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of the Herod. Christ is thinking about those who have rejected him, the spiritual issue. What did the disciples say? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have no bread. See, they heard the word leaven and went right to bread, and he's thinking leaven spiritually. They're missing the boat. They are thinking about this the wrong way now. Watch verse 16. And they said, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto him, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Now watch, perceive ye not yet. See, that word yet. Neither understand, have ye in your heart yet hardened. You see, that word yet is critical here. They're not seeing clearly. They're seeing men as trees. What's going to happen to them? Then they, one day they're going to see tree. So there's a two-step issue here. So they, they, they're just not quite getting, they're just a step behind, but then one day they're going to get ahead. Now think about what he says there where men's, he sees men as trees. Again, the issue of trees is up. Go back to Judges chapter number 9. And men walking as trees. And it's not just a coincidence that this is what the man sees. Because he's looking, this is a picture of the disciples. It's a picture of them not quite getting it. And then in the future, they're going to get it. And they're going to see clearly. Okay? Now, Judges 9, verse 7. And when they told it to Jotham, so this is going to be a parable by Jotham. I could uh, Sunday I brought we were ta- we hit this about the olive tree and I couldn't remember Jotham. I, I don't I just didn't read verse eight. The trees went forth. So there's going to be some trees here, and Jotham is going to give a parable here. Now the trees, they represent the nations in the earth. And these trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them, and they said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness wherewith by me they honor God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree. And then you got verse 12, the tree said unto the vine tree. And then verse 14, they go to the bramble. So you've got these four trees here that represent the the different aspects of the life of the nation of Israel. The olive tree operates and and 
uh, represents the spiritual life in Israel, their access to God. Okay, The door in that te- of that temple is made out of olive wood. You walk through, those cherubs are made out of olive wood. Olive oil, the type of the spirit. Here's the access to God. So the olive tree is really the spiritual life that God placed at Israel's disposal. They are the only nation to have access to God directly. Everybody else had to go through Israel to get to God. Then you have the fig tree. And uh, I know, go counter against what the commentary said, the fig tree represents the religious life of the nation. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they make a fig they use fig leaves to hide themselves, their nakedness, and that's what religion does. Religion's whole design is to cover up, and that's what it is. The vine tree represents the national life of Israel. You go over there in Isaiah and and psalms and everything, and a vine he planted, and a vine came out of Egypt, and so this issue of the vine tree. So the Gentiles come to Israel. They come to Israel and the olive and the vine and the fig, and they say, reign over us, and they say no. Now, when they come to the olive and the vine and the fig, they're coming to Israel because they understand that God has placed the blessings of the families of the earth in in Israel. They're understanding where they're going to get the blessing from. So really they're saying, come and execute the Abrahamic covenant, is what they're saying. But really, Israel isn't getting it. What do they say? No. Except for who? The bramble. The apostate, the picture of the apostasy, the idolatry, in the nation. You know what they do? They say, yep, we're coming. We'll rule over you. And we're going to do this and that. So when you think about, come back to Mark 8 there, when this man sees the trees, he's seeing the blessing that God intended Israel to be to the nations. When he says he just, he sees men walking as trees, he's not, it's not a, I don't know, I've worn glasses all my life until I got married and I had eye surgery done. And then when I turned 40, I had to put the glasses back on. So for about, I don't know, 15, 20, 15 years, roughly, I didn't wear glasses and I enjoyed it greatly, you know, because one always fiddling. But then I had to put glasses back on because, and the doctors told me, hey, when you turn 40, you're going to be back in glasses. We're going to tell you that because your eyes make one make a major change and then when you get into the six, late 60s early 70s he says you're going to change again and he says now you're going to be changing over that but then there's the big change and I'm like okay oh thanks doc really encouraging you know but what it, you don't you know I wake up in the morning my phone rang this morning text message and I pick it up and I can't see it it's kind of my glasses on well, I know it. I know it's a text by the color and the shape. It, but it's fun. Well, what does he see? He, he sees them at. He sees that na- the nation out there. He sees these trees. He's he knows that the blessings that God intended Israel to be to the nations. He just it's just not clear yet. So the Lord looks at him and says, "You're not getting it." Looks at the disciples. You're not getting it. You're still dull of hearing. So it's going to take a second application of the hand of the Lord to do what to full for full sight. Okay? So think about the earthly ministry of Christ. What's he doing? He's forming the little flock. He's calling the little flock, the lost sheep. He's getting them together, but they're not complete. Okay? He goes to Calvary. We're going to start that here in a little bit. Then who comes early in Acts 2? The Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the book of Acts, you know what? They fully get it, clearly. Come come over to Luke 24. Luke 24. Very fascinating when you think about this. 
The Lord's there. He's training them. They're learning. They're growing. He's forming it. They're just kind of fuzzy on things. He's going to tell them, I'm going to go die. Not so, Lord. And boom. And yet he goes and dies. And then when the Spirit, but when I die, remember our study through John? Uh, when I leave, another comforter is coming. And he's going to take you to the next. And it's exactly what their eyes are, are gradually improving until what happens until the holy spirit comes and then they see clearly so there's two applications here one the earthly ministry of christ and then two after the resurrection for that hand of the lord luke 24 luke 24 look at verse 25 luke 24 uh well 24 we're here the day of resurrection, verse 1, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they come, he's not there. Verse 25, he uh, has the two on the road. Verse 25, then, then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They, 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 they don't get it. They're still not getting it. The day's over. The, this is the same. This is resurrection day. Actually, it's in the afternoon. They're not getting it. They're there. Verse 31. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Then they get it. They weren't getting it. He helps them out, second hand on, second application, and then they get it. Verse 36. And as thus spake, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now we've got the apostles in the upper room, the disciples in the upper room. They're in lockdown, and he just shows up in the middle of them and goes, Boo. You know, where did he come from? You know, Peter's taking roll. There should be only 11 of us, but I count 12. Who are you? You know, the whole bit there, the scene, and he appears to them. There they are. Now watch verse 44. And he said unto them, Speak, I'm sorry, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Now that's where we're at in Mark 8. They get a partial understanding. And then after the resurrection, they get that full revelation we can see clearly now. So when you come back to Mark 8, that's the picture here of this blind guy. The healing of the blind man. That's what's what is happening in the earthly ministry of Christ is that they're just seeing outlines. They're not seeing clearly. And then once he go, then after the resurrection, they get it. So the miracle pictures what's really going on among the disciples, the little flock. They've been separated out from unbelief, and he's going to restore their sight, but it's going to take two applications in order for them to see clearly. So he does it, verse 25, and after that he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. So he does it. And... He sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to anyone in the town. So again, he sends him away. Now don't go tell anybody. And we've seen that repeatedly here, over and over. The town has, actually, you know what he tells him? Don't go into the town. Why? Because they've rejected me. And if you go into town and tell them, they're, they're not going to be happy with you. Okay? Don't go in the town. You're separated out from that. Don't go back to that vain religious system. That's what he's dealing with. That's what he's telling the little flock. You need to stay here. You need to stay right here where 
You can see clearly now. Don't go back. You're separate. Touch not the unclean thing. That's the idea. Verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? Now he takes his disciples. He goes up to Caesarea Philippi. Um, that is a uh, remote area. It's a quiet place. Uh, he would call it a, a, a desert place. Now, not desert like we have here. where it was. Well, how was it, 105 today or something like that? He, a deserted place. That's what he's dealing with, okay? He takes the disciples off. He's alone. They're separate. He's pulled them out of that unbelief. He's got them. He's told them, don't you go back in that town. We're going this way. And he takes them away. And he asks a question. Who do, men, who do the people say I am? Who do they? He's preparing them now for something. There's something he's going to tell them here, he's preparing them for. Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. Now, he just spent eight chapters trying to tell the people he's the Messiah. And what do they say he, who do they say he is? John the Baptist, Elijah, Moses, one of the prophets. We don't really know. You see that? They're not, they don't, they're not getting it. So obviously, the, their ministry isn't having the desired effect. See, what's his desired effect? To save, all, save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Let's get it and have the whole nation turn to, but it isn't. They're off in rejection. So, verse 29. And he, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Now, think, look at what he just did. Who, do these, who does that people say, but who do you say I am? Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. Now, the two different statements, there's a contrast being developed. The people say one thing, they're wrong. You say, I am the Son of the living, I am Christ, and you're right. But we are alone in our understanding. We're over here. They don't get it, but we do. So guess what's coming your way, guys? Loneliness. You're going to be alone. But see how, what he's doing. There's a, that's why the separation issue. He takes the man outside of the town and performs a miracle. He pulls them off to Caesarea Philippi, a deserted place, a quiet area, a remote area. Why? Because he's teaching them something. He's showing them that when they believe, then they're, they're going to be come they're going to be separated from all the rest of the nation remember the lord says i didn't come to unify i come to divide father from our husband and wife and daughters and, and all that stuff that's what he's getting at with them here there there you guys are you you are going to have to stand you're gonna to have to believe the information and you're going to have to understand that it's going to cause you heartache. And it's going to cause suffering. And it's going to cause trouble. Verse 30, and he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he, spake, and he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now, watch what's, because we're moving here. And we are, guys, we're over here by ourselves. We get what's going on. We understand. The people don't understand. But you know what? It's going to get worse for you because I'm going to have to go die and be buried and, and rose again. 
So what are they what's going to happen to that little flock? Completely on their own. Completely alone. They're going to kill me. I mean, think about the picture being drawn here. He pulls that blind man out. He says, you don't see clearly now. Over here, you will see. And the reason is, is because I pulled you away from all of that. Don't go back into that. Stay over here because they're going to kill me. And when they do, you're going to be alone. And that's what being rejected is ultimately going to be like, is that issue of you're on your own. And you know what? You guys will be fine. You'll be good. You can stand there. I'm going to get you there. And that's literally from this moment forward in Mark, that's what he's going to do with them. He's going to get them ready. Now, notice verse 31, because the key word in there is the word began. And he began to teach them. So prior to this point, he has not told anyone that he's going to die. Okay? And that's a very critical thing to understand. They have been preaching the gospel of the kingdom, not knowing he was going to die on the cross. Okay? So the gospel of the kingdom does not include the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The gospel of the grace of God includes that. Prior to this point, Mark 8, which is Matthew 16, which is Luke 9, he has not said a word about going to Jerusalem, death, burial, and resurrection at all. Okay? He doesn't say... So we're at a critical moment in Mark now. Again, this takes place in Matthew 16. It takes place in Luke 9. Because this now is the pivotal moment in Mark. Because from... Mark, from Mark 8:31 now, down through, we're going to Calvary. That's going to be his mindset, is now going to Calvary. When he says there, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, things are changing. Verse 30, he charged them that they should tell no man of him. They're Why? Because the rejection of Christ is now a permanent thing. And he's telling them, you're going to be rejected too, and you're going to be on your own because i got to go die. And Peter says, praise the Lord, hallelujah, woohoo. No, he rebukes him, see. So Peter's, by, by the way, if you look there at verse 31, uh, the end of that verse, and be killed, and after three days rise again. In the Gospels, every time when he starts talking about Calvary and going and dying, it's, I'm going to die and then be raised again. So it's always death and then resurrection. It's never just death. It's death and resurrection. Because there's a coming a point in the future when the ladies go to the tomb and that angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? There's a reason he says that. Why? Because he's been telling them, teaching them, what? I'm going to die, and then I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to be raised again. So, but what is, what is their eyesight? Not too clear, a little slow, a little dim. And then after Calvary, after the resurrection, in those 50 days, 40 days of Bible study with the Lord where he opens their their understanding, he goes, aha, things begin to click. But until then, don't do, it's death and then resurrection, and they are together, okay? So here he begins to introduce the issue, the fact of his death, and it's quite a shock to Peter, thus his response. By the way, he spake that saying openly. They all heard it. This just wasn't just to Peter, James, and John. It was to the whole group. And Peter's response. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now, when you think about that, you've got to cut Peter some slack. Peter doesn't get a lot of slack, but you've got to give him some slack. Because Peter, think about this. He just said, who, who do you guys think I am? What did Peter say? 
You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're going to sit on the throne in the glory. And he, see, he just articulated, you're our champion. You're our king. You're, you're going to win. And what did the Lord just say to him? No, I'm going to go die and be resurrected. You see that? And Peter's like, no, Lord, you're supposed to sit on the throne. So the Lord, verse 32, but when he had turned about and looked on his disciple, verse 33, sorry, he rebuked Peter, saying, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. And that's critical. You think about, he, he turns and he, he doesn't look at Peter. He, Pete, Pete's standing there. He turns his back to Peter and says to the group, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. See, there, there's, a, there's, there's a picture being going on here. He looks at them and rebukes Peter. And when he does that... He, Peter is in shock. The Lord, by the way, verse 29, when Peter says, Thou art the Christ, in Matthew 16, we have more of the dialogue between the Lord, and he says, Well, you know, you, it's been revealed to you. So we get all of the legalese. Mark doesn't care about that. Mark just cares about moving, boom, boom. Okay? He speaks it openly, clearly, when he says there, uh, he spake that saying openly. He says it to the group. It's clear. They're, they're getting it. Okay? He says, I'm going to die and be resurrected. They, they got the first thing down, but they don't get the second. They got who he is right, but now they're missing this. They have their open, their eyes are going to be opened after the resurrection, Luke 24. So the rebuke by Peter is one of, out of, comes from him out of shock of what did Christ just say. He says, I'm, I'm the, I'm, I am Christ, you got that right, but I have to go over here and die and be resurrected. And when Peter rebuked, ticks him and begins to rebuke him, that is, Peter is, he's just dumbfounded. Because Peter comes from, Peter's a commercial fisherman. By the way, the reason he says, verse 33, the, uh, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men, is because how did Peter respond to that? He didn't respond to it about, hey, yeah, yeah, Lord, yeah, I see that. He responds out of, coming from, we don't lose Commercial fishermen never lose the fight. They win the fight. What does man say? Man hates to look weak. Man, when Paul says over there, in, in, when God says, Christ says to Paul, and when you're weak, I am strong. See, in man, the things of man thinks the other way around. There's no glory in looking weak. You know, Ricky Bobby said it. Second place is first loser. We're not losers. Lord, you just said, you are the son of the living God. You're the king. You're going to sit on the crown, the throne. You're going to have all the glory. And now you're telling me you're giving up? Because that's what he's going to do, isn't it? So Peter rebuking him wasn't out of unbelief. or, or It was coming from, a, hey, I, you're not going to die because we're winning. He's just, he didn't understand, he just, he's got that fuzzy thinking. That he doesn't have that clear sight yet. Now, he does, so Peter's not a coward. Peter's a commercial fisherman, and by the way, he, did, he doesn't understand why Christ would say what he said without a fight. Remember when we looked in there in John into the garden and Judas and the guys show up and he says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. Peter's ready to do what? Draw the sword. Let's fight this out. They, they may take you, but we're going to take some of them with us, see. And the Lord says, put it away, heals the, the guy and all that stuff. 
Peter's dumbfounded. What are you talking about? You're the man. You, you are the Messiah. What do you mean we're losing? He's focused in on the physical things, the things of men, things that be of men. He's not savoring the things that be of God. He's missing. Now, again, after the resurrection, clearly can see it. By the way, Peter follows the Lord all the way to the cross. He goes into the judgment hall. Three times he denies it, and that, guy go, that lady says, your speech gives you away. He's right there. He, now he's denied the Lord. I'm, I'm not with that guy. So Peter didn't, doesn't run away. He just isn't quite. He's, he's focused in on the wrong things. Look over in chapter 10 of Mark. So the rebuke here by Peter is quite shocking, chapter 10 of Mark. Um, here's the, the, the issue, Mark 10, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And you said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand, and the other on thy left hand, notice, in thy glory. Now, that's the kingdom glory, okay? So, what, what is man looking for? What are these men looking for? Glory. What does man look for? Glory. We just had those primaries and everything yesterday, and they're all yakking about who's this and who's that. What's that guy do? He sits up there and thumps it. He's won. I'm the victor. Now he's got to go face another opponent in a couple months. But that's the whole thing. Man's looking at the glory. Verse 38, But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup which I drink of? Now what cup is, what's cup, what cup is coming his way? The cup of the wrath, the indignation of God. Can, and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? He's got suffering coming. And they said unto him, we can. And, you know, we can, can you suffer and do it like I'm going to do? And they say, yeah, we can do it. And he's like, yeah, I don't think so. Verse uh, 42, drop down to verse 42. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. And that's the point. How's it going to work in God's kingdom? You're not ruling over lordship. You're what? You're a servant. By the way, for you and I in the heavenly places, it's the same way. Our judgment seat of Christ event identifies, certifies your level of inter inner man capacity for service. That's what he's doing. Same thing. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, it isn't about lording over. It's about what? Serving. So when you think about that we judge angels thing, oh, we're going to tell the one. Maybe you might re rethink that about you barking orders to an angel. See, the word judge has different meanings to it. There's discernment and there's stuff like that, okay? So come back to Mark 8. So with the Lord, M M Peter rebukes him because he doesn't want to lose the fight. He wants the glory of victory. So the Lord, verse 34 And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. So if you go do this, see, let him come over here and... and Take up his cross, take up the cross, deny and take up the cross. Let whoever, whoever out there wants to do it, come and suffer the rejection like I'm going to suffer. 
Okay. Verse 35 there, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. You're not seeking glory like the Gentiles seek you do in that verse. See, you're thinking about, you're savoring the things of God. Now come back to 33. Verse 30, we'll get in, we're going to look at 34 to 38 next time, because time's up, but look, just catch this in verse 33. They're to savor the things of God. They're to love what God is saying, what God's doing, and what's happening here, and, and what, what, did, what did God just say to them? What did he just tell them? I'm going to die and be resurrected. And instead of going, okay, Lord, what does that mean? Which, by the way, Luke 18 says they were scared to ask that question. <laughs> okay. Instead of getting in there going, hey, okay, what is that talking about? Peter says, not so, Lord. We're going to battle. Fight is on. And they lost it. So from 831 down to the end of chapter 16, the focus is Christ going to the cross. Now, what's going to happen here, um, look over just quickly here. Look at 11.1. Watch, watch what happens here. Uh, well, actually 10, chapter 10, look at verse 44. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. See, the focus is we're, we're pivoted now. Now we're going to ransom. Now we're going to 11.1. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent forth two of his disciples. Now we have the, the entry into Jerusalem. He sends them in, sends the two in. And the rest, you know, the rest of the chapter, they're going into Jerusalem. And chapter 11 to chapter 15 is the last week of the life of Christ. You remember in John 13 to 16 is the last night, day and night before Calvary, all that passage. So in chapter 8, we see the shift, the pivot. He's been talking about his mighty works and miracles and identification of who he is. Now he's, we've got to go to die. Now it's time to die at the cross. And we're pivoting. Okay? So chapter 8, verse 31 is, and he began to teach them, is the pivot. Now, 8.32, Peter rebukes him. Okay? Peter responds out of shock and astonishment in his flesh. He, is, he, he just responds out of the idea of surrendering without a fight. Okay? You know, you're, you, you just told us you're going to Calvary, and why is that? You know, boom, you know, how, why don't you fight? But now in verse 33, but when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. So the Lord turns his back to Peter and rebukes Peter this direction. And what I want you to catch here is the depth of his rebuke to Peter. Again, Matthew 16, more details and all of that integral things going on. Okay? But in Mark, it's not there. Now, Mark has not, not demonstrated who the Lord is, okay? L look in chapter 1. Sometimes Mark is said to, well, he's not demonstrating that he's the son of the living God and blah, blah, blah. But Mark does do that. Mark 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. See, Mark does it. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. There he is. Verse 9, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. See, uh, where's the mightier than I? Uh, well, verse 11, And there came a voice 
from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So you've got some issues there that are quite evident. Mark describes the Lord as the Son of God. But in Mark 8, when he does this, he's not dealing... Mark doesn't have to repeat himself. He's, here's the shock of Peter in his savoring the things of men, not considering the things that, of God. What did God just say? Okay. Now, he rebukes him saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, come over to Luke 4, because it's an interesting thing that that is exactly what the Lord says to Satan in the temptation. Luke 4, uh, verse 6. We're just jumping in, okay? And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. See the glory, that issue of the things of men. Glory. For that is delivered unto me, and to whom I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. So he, all the man seeks, that tempting Christ. You're a man. He is. What does man look for? Glory, worship, honor, respect. I give it to you. But then what does he say, verse 8? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt shalt worship the Lord thy God, in him only shalt thou serve him. Now, literally, (laughs) he literally takes what he said to Satan and he says it to Peter. Go back to Mark 8. Now, he's not calling Peter Satan. Okay? But rather, when he says, get thee behind me, Satan, what Peter is doing is what Satan wants done. Okay? Satan, is tra- he's infiltrated Israel, polluted Israel with that vain religious system, and now he's trying to get into the little flock... He does through Judas to a degree, but tries to get into Peter's thinking to cause Peter to worry about the things of man. You see that? If does Satan get what did Satan do? Satan says, "You bow down, you worship me. I'll give you all of this. Will be yours. The things that man glories in." And what does? What is the Lord doing to Peter? Peter, you're acting just like Satan. Peter, you're, going, you're after the same thing Satan is, and that's the, the glory. Now watch verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. Now watch, when he cometh in the glory of his Father with who? The holy angels. That's Matthew 25, 31, the setting up of the kingdom. The glo- so the glory is coming, Pete. It's just not coming right now. Okay? And it, it, it's, it, it isn't going to be a shock to see it. It's going to be there, and you'll participate it. But we have to do it, verse 33, the way God wants it done. We have to do it God's way. So Christ just told them that... Look there at verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. See that must? He just told them what he must do. So instead of believing him and just ending the conversation, he doesn't. He overreacts. See that? So the Lord uses the moment to teach them that says, listen, what Satan's trying to do here is to come along and try to stop some this, this event. He's try- Sometimes you'll hear people say that what Satan's doing through Peter is to try to stop him from going to Calvary, and that is not true at all. Okay? Rather, when the Lord says get to Peter, get behind me, he's saying, Pete, you're concentrating on the wrong thing here. You're concentrating on your flesh. You're concentrating on the things that man, and you're not seeing it God's way 
that's, man's way is going to end you up in the dump. God's way is going to end you up in the glory of the Father. And you need to relax. You need to calm down. You see, follow, okay? And that's what's happening here. That's what the Lord's doing. By the way, that's exactly how the adversary tempted Adam and Eve. Got them to look at the things of men, the glory, rather than doing it God's way. And that's the result. Okay? Time's up. So we're going to go down through 34 to 38, go back up, catch a couple more other things in there um, that were here. But just get the feel here. The blind man is a picture of the disciples. Right now they can't see clearly. One day they will, but it's going to be after the resurrection because he just told them, we're going. Right now you're going to have a slow of heart, be dull, dull of hearing. Isaac can't really see it clearly, but over here it will be all explained. Okay, And that's what you see literally with the little flock. You do see that where they, they're not quite catching it, and then, boom, they get it. And then he tells them, I'm going to go to Calvary. I'm going to go die and be resurrected. And Peter demonstrates that they're not seeing it by the rebuke. And the Lord says, hang on, Pete. You're going to get there. You're just not doing it right. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the look into it here. And we thank you for the instructions for our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.